0: Today is Friday, April 27th, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Episode 260, featuring the Boston Sports Journal's Brian Robb, is brought to you by Mac Weldon. Go to MackWeldon.com and use the promo code CELTICS for 20% off your first order. Okay, maybe you saw it coming. I did not. You can call me a jinx if you want to, but the last show, the Celtics were up 2 nothing. I was fully confident the thing was over. Turns out, far from the case. Adam Kaufman here with you on Celtics Beat. Got it wrong, alright? A lot of us got it wrong. They were up 2 nothing. The Celtics looked so great at home going back to Milwaukee and... Well, as things played out, obviously, it has been home, 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 home. The home team has won every single game in this series, which is why a Game 7 is coming up Saturday night at the Garden. So we have got a lot to talk about. As it relates to Game 7, all the different things to watch for, what has made certain things possible in this series, things obviously the Celtics need to correct after what was, for a wide variety of reasons, a very disappointing Game 6. And as always, some big picture items about the future of this team. And no, it's not just Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard talk. Matter of fact, you're not going to hear Anthony Davis's name again the whole rest of the show. And Kawhi, he's not a fixture either. It's about what do you do Who do you build around? How much faith do you have in the current construction of this team when, of course, everybody is healthy? But mostly, that's just a little sidebar much later on in the program. Mostly, it is Game 7 talk and this series. I know oftentimes on this show, we fix ourselves on the larger issues. But right now, the biggest issue that there possibly is, is this Game 7. So I want to make sure... You hear this show. The best way to do that, as you probably already know, if you are listening to this right now, is subscribe. Subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. I will tweet out the show. You can find it in a whole variety of places. So subscribe. That is the way to hear this show. Just go to iTunes, search Celtic Speed. It will pop up right there. Subscribe. It's easy. And if you feel generous, leave us ratings. Leave us comments. We want to know that you're listening. We want to know what you think. Never hesitate with the feedback. But look. Game 7. They're fun, I guess. They're incredibly stressful, really. I hate when people say Game 7s are fun. Or it's the best two words in sports. No, it sucks. At least, it sucks when your team is the one that was ahead 3-2 and now has to play in a Game 7. If you come back from down 3-1, like the Maple Leafs did against the Bruins before they fell in Game 7, or the Bucks coming back from down 3-2 against the Celtics to force a Game 7, sure, it's fun, it's exciting, it's entertaining, but right now, for... Us rooting for the team that was just up 3 2, put them away. Don't blow the 2 0 series lead. Don't blow the 3 2 series lead. Finish the damn thing off that's what we want of course that's how we feel about it fans media whoever many of us brad stevens as he often does puts the positive spin on things our guys get to experience a game seven which again we didn't want but game seven in td garden is you know what you play for it should be what you're you know most excited about what you work for all summer what you work for all year it's a blast what you practice in the driveway and counting down the seconds to take the game winning shot, all the different, look, we know. This is, I'm sure it's fun as a player. I'm sure the Bucks Joe Prunty's club feels the same way. This is what you work for. So embrace mm. that moment. Go out and as a team, attack it together to go find a way. Find a way to get a win. Yeah, except don't if you're the Bucks Find a win if you're the Celtics. That's what we want. But these are the guys that obviously have to coach these various players and two very talented teams, you could argue more talent, quite frankly, is on the Bucks side, but more depth. On the Celtics side, there's a lot to be said there about this series and the way things have played out. Jalen Brown is one of very few guys that has played in a Game 7, was part of it last year against Washington, the Kelly Olynyk game, when the Seas were able to win and advance to face Cleveland there in the conference finals when things didn't go so well. But with the roster turnover, it's Brown, it's Marcus Smart, it's Terry Rozier, it's obviously Al Horford who has played in Game 7s in the Garden as both a home player and a visitor. And usually he's good luck because when he was with the Hawks, Celtics won so maybe Al Horford's the lucky charm but these Bucks players not many of them have played in a game seven and as a franchise the Bucks have not been in a game seven since 2010 which clearly predates the vast majority if not all of these players that are on this roster I don't feel like looking it up but the Celtics historically mean nothing stat but it just feels good to hear 22 and 8 all-time in game sevens 733 winning percentage the best in NBA history I know it doesn't matter, but you hope. You hope it carries over. You hope it makes you feel good anyway and gives you just a, a little bit of relief heading into an incredibly stressful game. But
1: Jalen Brown, how are you feeling? This is where home court comes in, This is where playing the right way all season comes up great for us. You know, this is where, you know, playing the right basketball all year long is going to come to a benefit in our end, like Game 7. Uh, a lot of people haven't experienced it on this team, Game 7 in TDR, and the atmosphere is crazy. Uh, I expect nothing short of a, a tremendous uh, performance from everybody, who we come out do what it needs to do to survive in advance.
0: Here's the fact: I don't know how you can expect it. You can want it, you can hope for it, you can do your damnedest to get it, but how right now can you expect it? The only pattern that has been reliable in this series is that the home team wins, and if that holds true, great. All of us Celtics fans were in a happy place, but outside of that, I mean, it's death taxes, home team wins, and Chris Middleton goes off. That is what we know about this series right now. That is the only consistent every single game. Even Giannis Attentacumpo was quieter anyway for Giannis by Giannis standards in game five before doing what he does in game six. And I'm plenty more to say about him coming up with uh, B-Rob in just a moment fact is Celtics they they had their struggles in this last game the three-point shooting was atrocious now good looks in many cases but just missed shot didn't fall a lot rimmed out and all that but 10 for 36 36 three-pointers I hate that I've always hated that I hate that aspect that facet of today's NBA for me it would be immensely frustrating to be like a, a Rockets fan I don't care how many you hit I hate that style of play I just I really do Cedric Maxwell and I were were akin to that but they are shooting the Seas 35 percent from three in this series Jason Tatum who was so good from long range during the regular season just 32 percent he hasn't had a bad series but he's not shooting well from three Terry Rozier 34 percent which is not you know Marcus Smart level bad but is certainly not where you want him to be and you Definitely don't want him at 34% when he's taking eight attempts per game. That's plain frustrating. Transition defense in the last contest, bad. 34-6, to 6, I think the numbers were, in favor of the Bucs. So there have been frustrating elements. But this particular show is not as much about looking back as it is looking ahead. And what are the keys to Game 7? How do the Celtics change the outcome? How do they win this game? How do they put me in a position where i'm talking to you about the sixers. That's what we all want, right? That's where we want to be. So, with that, let's welcome in Brian Rob, Boston Sports Journal. We'll do your questions a little bit later on. B Rob, last one out. That sucked, huh?
1: Yeah, i mean, uh playing in Milwaukee, not fun thing for this team to do <laughs> during this series. Um i mean, this is it's it's reminiscent of the uh the series against the Wizards last year Adam in the sense that you know, this is a different team on the road right now. and that's But that's normal. That's pretty normal for teams in the playoffs where just guys, especially role players, look different at home and at the road, and it's obviously not been enough for them to get over the hump in this series.
0: All right, well, to that end, I mean, obviously, I was hoping to spend most of this conversation looking ahead to the Sixers. We can't do that yet, and maybe not at all, but the home team has won every game in this series. As you said, C's have looked very different at the Garden versus in Milwaukee. Do you expect... The trend to continue Saturday at the Garden.
1: Uh, I think you have to. I mean, the the worrisome thing if you're in the Celtics is the you know the Bucks have had I'd say maybe arguably the, the best two players in this series on their team um, in Giannis and Middleton. Sure. And I mean, Jalen Brown can probably you know make his case to for Middleton on that front, but I mean, Middleton's is probably having one of the best shooting series ever. Um, and so when you have that variable going into one game, when you have two guys that could go off and kind of take a game over, that's worrisome. But at the same time, the, the rest of the Bucks supporting cast has been pretty awful in Boston all series long. Um, and so, so they're going to be energized. They're going to be probably hitting a few more of those up in open threes that, they, that weren't going down in game six. And so, you know, y- you have to, you know, you like them. I had Celtics like in seven before the series even started. So I'm obviously going to stick with that. But I think you're you know, just anytime, you're partial
0: to Celtics at seven is, is what it was. And you, I just, mean, you, you had to follow. It. I had
1: to go go back to the roots there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's no question that the Bucks have more town on the floor. So that is a scary proposition when it's a one-game situation.
0: All right, well, we'll get back to Middleton, but Giannis, obviously. I mean, we could spend a half hour just talking about Giannis. For me... The scariest part about last night is really the reason that, quite frankly, the Bucks maybe should have already won this series. Giannis Antetokounmpo had a quiet first half, only five shot attempts. I think he maybe made four, but he only took five shots and then just goes off, goes nuclear in the second half. Couldn't be stopped on the way to that 31-14 night, and that's honestly kind of what I expected him to do in game five, but he opted to be more passive with Shemi Ojale on him and and some others, but mostly Ojale and Ojale played great D. So I'm taking nothing away from him, but Giannis elected to people talked about it after, you know, make the right basketball play a lot of the time rather than make what may have been the right play, you know, be selfish. And uh, I think he just, he has to be selfish to win this. And the thing is when he is, you can't stop him. He gets to the hoop at will. So I don't know what the answer is there.
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough call for the Celtics I and mean, Brad Stevens in terms of how you you're gonna try to handle him and you know, Oj Ogil- like the Celtics have done a very admirable job on him all series long, uh, with a variety of defenders in Horford, um, Ogil- and Baines. I thought in game six, you know, they kinda went away from Augelet Ogil- down the stretch a bit, and then that's when Giannis really got going, it seemed like. But that's not to say the Celtics didn't play solid defense with Baines and Horford. Like, when they were in the game, it's just he kind of got going downhill and there wasn't anything he could do about it. But you have to kind of pick your poison here if you're Brad Stevens in the sense. You go Ojale and you play him for the really big minutes because I think probably has done the best job of him in the series and has the best combination of of strength and, and speed to kind of, like, pick his spots and try to draw charges and just make life hard for him. But then you're dealing with a guy who's shooting under, you know, 30% from the field. <laughs> As and so that really puts some more pressure on the Celtics' offense in a game seven. So, it's it's a really tough call if your are team is to see, okay, who you know do we have enough offense on the floor to get away with that, or do we need to roll the dice with Horford and like Marcus Morris spending time and really try to stretch the Bucks out and beat them when you've had so much trouble scoring the ball in uh, honestly the last two games because game five they had a lot of trouble scoring the ball too in a in two straight poor shooting nights.
0: So on that note, I mean, I think Ojale is is a lock to play 20-plus minutes anyway. He may not play the 31 that he played in Game 5, let's say, but obviously the way that Brad elects to kind of tinker things, that remains to be seen. I mean, do you think he's going to keep the same starting unit?
1: I think he will. I guess the one thing the one thing he could tinker with at this point is doing a swap with, with Smart and Rosier, hypothetically, in terms of just having a more natural point guard in there with that starting unit to help, like, get them going. But I don't think, I think that's, you know, a lot to ask of Smart, who looked more human last night on the offensive end. But, no, I think they, it's just going to be more about, like, game plan in terms of game six, game five. It was all about the drive and kick game. They wanted to avoid the blocks. They wanted to, again, stretch the Bucks out. But the Bucks were having ready for it. They've adjusted nicely. They have, again, great athleticism. They're putting pushing the Cs out to kind of above the break threes, and they're contesting those pretty well. And so, I think the Celtics have kind of maybe pushed it too far in one direction. There, they're, I think they've honestly maybe are turned down some layups at them, and f- just by looking for threes too much. You know, <laughs> Thirty six of correct. them <laughs>
0: give, give right. you that impression, right?
1: Exactly. And then, okay. you know, I was in my column, on Boston Sports Journal after game six. Down the stretch of that game it was a two-point game, and nine of the Celtics' last thirteen shots were three-pointers last night in the last six minutes of the game, and they made one of them. And so, again, if you you know you live and you die by the three, it's yeah, I understand it. It's a a good strategy for a team that shot pretty well all year long from three on the surface, but it's all I mean it's a risky one. And the Bucks' defense the question is: can they can they find better shots? Can they penetrate it more to make sure that those threes? If they're going to take them, they have to be a little more wide open, or you got to maybe drive the closeouts a little bit more and just really find a way to get inside.
0: Well, and that's the thing. There are other areas of the defense that I want to get back to, but just because you're on the offense right now, that that really, it's not even as though the defense was the biggest problem. Still held the Bucks under 100 points, which is more than we can say about how the first four games went. But guys like Marcus Morris, the, you know, they were saying after the game they were happy with that shot selection that they, you know, they had open looks and, hey, they just, they, they didn't fall. I didn't really care for it. Now, you know me, I've ranted to you about this I don't know how many times I just I, I love the NBA. I hate today's NBA that is so reliant upon the three pointer as you just outlined. But it, this, you know, you you see the way a lot of that was playing out, and whether it's ISO, whether it's reliance on the three, I just it, it seemed a little wonky in in the way that they were going about their offense, where there wasn't a lo- whole lot of rhyme or reason at times.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of a roller coaster ride for all game long with them on offense in game six. And honestly, throughout the series where they kind of put things together for a few minutes, and then it goes away very quickly and kind of devolves into that ISO game you were talking about. And, you know, Morris has been someone who, you know, has not played well in this series. Um, those The looks, he got some decent looks throughout the game, but, again, they all come from mid-range, um, and he honestly has the highest usage on this team, you know, out of the rotation players, just playing Greg Monroe in this series. And that's really not necessarily what you want there. <laughs> if you're Brad Stevens, just in the sense of who's played well, who's, who's been the biggest threat of the ball in the series. Obviously it's been guys like Brown Tatum. And then, you know, last night Al Horford only took eight shots, didn't take a shot in the fourth quarter period. So I think, You know, they'll probably try to, you know, Morris is going to play, they're going to need him to hit shots, there's no question to probably win this game, but they also need to, I think, you know, look for more high percentage, you know, shots in the beginning and then find the guys who can take those high percentage shots and, you know, I think Horford and Brown and and Tatum are really the guys in this series that have shown the most in that front. especially down the stretch.
0: We'll get back to B-Rob in just a second. I want to tell you today's show is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Now, Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and elegant fabrics. They were sick and tired of walking into department stores and trying to buy socks, underwear, undershirts, and not getting consistent results. So they started their own company. Mack Weldon products will be the most comfortable you try on. They believe in that so much that if you order your first pair of underwear and you don't like it, Mac Weldon will refund your money, but yes, you can keep the underwear. They believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. I tell you, I've spent hours on that site, not exaggeration, Just looking around because there's so much to explore, for one, and there are just so many things I'm interested in buying. It's not just socks and underwear. I mean, you've got designer pants and shorts and swim trunks, and the weather's getting nice, so that's appealing. Stuff that you can sleep in, whatever. And if you're going on any trips over the summer, accessories like a travel kit or this really cool backpack you can even plug your phone into to charge it. My phone battery dies all the time. It's a pain in the arse. I would love to be able to just walk around a backpack and charge my phone, not have to worry about that and being plugged into something. So think about that. There are all sorts of options. Mac Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now. So what are you waiting for? Log on to MacWeldon.com today. Use my promo code Celtics for 20% off your first order. Again, 20% off your first order on MacWeldon.com just by entering my promo code Celtics. All right, let's get back to B Rub. It really was just, the more I think about it, B-Rob, it was just such a, it was a weird offensive game because, I mean, Horford blows up in Game 5, and like you said, eight shots in Game 6, none in the fourth. Terry Rozier, scorching hot out of the gate, misses his last eight shots. Marcus Morris, basically the opposite, and that's putting it kindly. As you said, he's he's not had a good series, certainly hasn't shot well. Jalen Brown, invisible in the first half, he heats up late. Jason Tatum, a lot of up and down, obviously hit some big shots. We know the step back three and all that. Marcus Smart didn't create much at all. I mean, it wasn't a good game for him really on either end. Where does the dependability come from? Because, you know, Kelly Olynyk's not walking through that door.
1: He's not. Even though Terry Rozier brought him up last night when we were talking about Game 7, which was uh, entertaining to say the least. But, no, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, the, the good news is there are a number of guys on this roster that can step up. Well, all um, those guys I just mentioned are capable, but, right, but they there's no you dependability have at all. Exactly, and the worrisome thing, I guess, is you know when you're you know having those guys step up becomes a bit tougher when you're also playing Ojale and Smart for big minutes. In the sense that you know those are two subpar shooters that help the Bucks' defense defend. In the sense that they don't have to like put as much attention on those guys. A lot of them to focus in on the other. So. I mean, the bottom line for this series, Adam, right now, I feel like the Celtics have not put together a, a strong two-way game yet. They've the first couple, of, they've rolled their offense in those first couple games, but their defense was iffy there. They won Game Five with their defense, but they really haven't put two and two together for close to 48 minutes. And so, that's you know, they're they're due for that. Whether they're capable of that is the is the question. Um, I don't see why they. They shouldn't be on, in a game seven, based on having smart back now and you know just home court advantage things that should go in their favor. But they might need it based if if Giannis and Milton get going, they're going to be have to you know have multiple guys show up on the offensive end of the floor and really just again give themselves a chance of better looks um, on better spots on the floor rather than you know just too many catch and shoot threes above the break where they have a hand in their face and it's just, you know, a roll of the dice.
0: Well since you mentioned Middleton, I have to look it up, but has he missed a shot in this series yet?
1: I think it was like in the second minute of game two he missed
0: one. <laughs> it's unbelievable that's, that's what he's doing. <laughs> it really is. I mean is there a is there a better way to defend him? I mean it's it's I think he's just having a freakishly hot series, and it's, it's not even like the Celtics are being terrible guarding him. He's just, even when Marcus Smart was on him, didn't really have an answer. He was hitting tough shots. Uh, I mean, I've, I've always, and you know this, I've always liked Middleton. I remember going back at least a couple of years, there was someone, maybe it was Avery Bradley, I don't remember who it was, maybe you do, there was someone with the Celtics that was connected to a Chris Middleton trade, and... We were all about it. It's like, do that trade, please, because this guy can shoot. And that was something the Celtics were missing so badly at the time. We are seeing firsthand how easy it is to hate this guy because of how much you appreciate his game.
1: Yeah, no question. He's been, you know, he's always been, like, you know, an ideal shooting guard or wing with length who's, you know, a solid defender and can obviously light it up from three-point range. But this is, you know... This is absurd. The pace he's on right now is is you know borderline historic because again this is he's going against one of the best defensive teams in the league. Obviously they've been down some bodies here, at the Celtics, and which has created some mismatches. But you know Milton's fifty nine percent from the field, sixty two percent from three, and that's while taking you know close to five three pointers a game, and that is absurd hmm. to have that kind of a stretch and. Again, he's punished punished every mismatch. You know, every time Shane Larkin gets on him, I feel like it's like an automatic two points. And that's he's kind of burned guys, younger guys like Brown and Tatum, with his like pump fakes and jump stops to just watch those guys fly by him. And and Smart has done you know a more better job in the last couple of games. Here he's been you know he hasn't gone off as much, but he's still automatic with his shots. And so I you you can't really you double him if you're Brad Stevens. You can't do that because then that opens up problems for Giannis. And it's, I don't know what else you can do if you're the Celtics except pray that in the hostile environment of the Garden he can't replicate what he's done so far in Game 7.
0: For all intents and purposes, only seven guys played in Game 6 for the Seas. You know, there were some on lesser minutes, obviously, but seven that played considerable minutes. Brad's clearly tightening things up. What do you make of the rotations?
1: Yeah, it's... It's kind of what you expected at once this series. Once they went defensive-minded here, with Ouellet in, you're obviously can't. You're not going to play Monroe and Baines off the bench, even though Monroe got a shot last night briefly to be, you know, when the offense was struggling, to be like, all right, what can you give us here? And immediately the Bucks went down and, you know, got two easy baskets at the rim with Monroe on the floor. So, you know, Monroe, it's it's a situation where. He's obviously was useful down the stretch in terms of depth and everything, but in a playoff series, he's, you know, vulnerable. And this is a situation where the Bucks have kind of given up playing traditional centers outside of Zeller. I mean, Maker, I guess, is traditional in the sense that he's seven feet tall, but he's a three-point shooter, which obviously Monroe can't really handle. And even Baines, I mean, it's, it'll be very interesting to see how they, you know, the – by not playing him and not playing Baines, the offensive rebounding advantage has kind of gone down the tubes. That the Seas have like relied on early in this series to manufacture some extra points, and so that's going to be another interesting push pull for Stevens in Game Seven. Whether he wants to, you know, give those guys a shot and kind of maybe, you know, hey, we're missing a lot of shots here. We could use an extra presence down there, or you know, you know what, our defensive versatility has been great the last couple games. We need to keep that up and, you know, we might just, you know, we'll give Baines a quick shot here and there, but it's really going to be rolling with those seven and, which again, is a dicey proposition when you, when you're, when Smart obviously is not look sharp offensively and Ojale is what he is.
0: Not many guys on either side have played in a Game 7. Al Horford's won and lost them at the Garden, as a matter of fact, on both sides of the ball. Brown, uh, Rozier, Smart, they were part of one last year, that went over the Wizards. Bucks haven't been in the seventh game since 2010. Is there any edge there, or is it just the crowd and being at home that could make the difference?
1: You know, I think there's a bit of an edge. When when you have so many guys going into a Game 7 on the road, Without game some experience, I think that that matters, especially since the supporting cast of the Bucks have not shown really all series long that they're, you know, they're able to play on the road. This is a much different team on the road, and the role guys that are hit the hit shots at the Bradley Center have not hit shots at the Garden. So, once you know if things get rolling downhill early, um, and that crowd gets going, and the Celtics are just feeding off that energy, things could you know turn quickly. There there are some veterans, obviously, with, you know, Dovidova's been in it, and, um, you know, Bledsoe's been in a couple. I think he may have played in the Game 7 back in his Clippers days, but those guys, you know, they're not going to change a series here. It's going to be Middleton and Giannis and, you know, a third piece like a Chapari Parker, but, you know, I do like the Celtics' chances on that front in the sense that they're going to be, able to be thrown off kilter, I feel like, by the crowd, by the atmosphere, and by the moment. And that again, the Celtics need to make shots. They need to kinda like make sure that they have some confidence from downtown early in this game I feel like to, to open things up for them. But if they do, I think that that will, you know, be enough to take out the role players in the Bucks.
0: So who's the X Factor in game seven?
1: Who? Um let's go, I think We're going to see, let's go for Rozier. I -hmm. think he's, again, I think the Rozier-Bledsoe matchup has been a fascinating battle all series long for obvious reasons um, that Rozier has honestly gotten the best of. And he's someone with, again, his, his shooting ability, his just athleticism, and, you know, he just makes the Celtics offense that much tougher of a cover when he has it going. And so that would really think open things up for, for Brown, Horford, Tatum, with him getting it going and kind of make forcing Bledsoe into mistakes and just throwing the the Bucks defense off Kilter. So he obviously had a great first half but disappeared down the stretch in game six and I think they're gonna need him to just, you know, really step things up there and, you know, make sure that Bledsoe is contained on the offensive end too. To make sure that the Bucks don't have that, you know, third option that could propel them uh, to a win here.
0: You know, I still don't understand how it is that he has gotten the better end of that matchup because I I just don't for all I I do know about Eric Bledsoe, not to be confused with Drew, I don't get how he is is so I don't know, for lack of a better term, mentally fragile to the point that he would allow this stupid thing that wasn't even intentional get in his head to a point where it has really kind of taken him out of this series because he is, at least you know I don't know how things will play out lifetime, but right now, 2018 late April, he's a better player than Terry Rozier. Like, this should not be affecting him.
1: Right, I mean numbers wise, that's the case but I guess, I mean, I think we're seeing you know, Bledsoe just get exposed a little bit in this series, especially on the defensive end of like the, the mistakes he's made in terms of you know, just not sticking Riff Rozier around picks and, you know, ball-watching leading to open shots. Like, that's, that's stuff that gets masked during the, the regular season when the whole team is bad on the defensive end. But now as the Bucks have kind of stepped things up um, in the last couple of games on the defensive end of the floor, you know, so still a guy that's given up a ton of open shots. And I get, it's something where Rozier didn't make him pay over the course of that game in game six, outside of his hot start. But that's something that can kind of swing a game in game seven. And then obviously, it, it swung a couple of those in Boston earlier in the series. And I think we're maybe just seeing Bledsoe for what he is just someone who you know puts up some nice numbers, can fill it up when the regular season's there. But when the stakes are raised, the, he's really not able to rise to the challenge as much.
0: So I hesitate to go here, but if the Seas win this game, as you and I both believe they will, you like the Celts or you like the Sixers in the next round?
1: Oof, I'm expecting that's going to be a long, ugly series, I feel like, with a lot of, you know, the, the Sixers have been hot from three-point range against the Heat all series long, but I feel like the Celtics um, have a much better defensive matchups for them compared to the Heat, and I think they'll be able to slow them down a lot. With that said, you know they're going to make life miserable for the Celtics to score the ball, and I would have to lean towards the Sixers. I'd say maybe Sixers and Seven for that series. I think it's just a situation where they're both going to be some ugly, ugly games where they're grinding it out. But when you look at just the, the number of shooting weapons that the Sixers have to account for and how they're playing this postseason – it's probably going to be too tall a task to come off a seven-game series win and go straight into that series without much rest and try to grind things out against that crew.
0: Well, and the way we talk about the Bucks, obviously, and you say we all would agree, Giannis, best player in the series, and Chris Middleton, very possibly number two. You know, Jalen Brown could could make the case as you talked about, but you look at the Sixers series if Joel Embiid is healthy. He's number one. He's right there at the top again. And Ben Simmons, you might be able to make a case, is number two. So there's still a little bit of a talent discrepancy there, at least to some degree. Younger, less experienced, but still there is, you know, talent is talent. And, you know, I I also on the Philly side, I don't think you can ignore. We don't know what Markel Fultz is, and, and he's barely played this year, but JJ Redick is a veteran who obviously can go out there and and drain some threes. I really like Dario Saric, maybe more than most people. And there there's just there's some versatility and depth on that Sixers team that we're not used to seeing over there.
1: No, no question. And the, with their their late season pickups have been huge. I mean Marco Bellinelli, yeah. Ersan Ilyasova, these are guys that have, you know, kind of won the Sixers games in that series. And they they have lineups where they can have shooting everywhere, and it's not going to be like the Bucks where you have Tony Snell throwing up bricks and Bledsoe throwing up bricks. You're you're yeah. going to have guys that are capable, you know, at all four or five positions, which is really going to limit your you know ability to throw double teams at Embiid or just you know provide the interior help on Simmons. So. I mean, the good news is the Celtics do have the personnel to, you know, they have Baines to go against MB. they have, they can throw Horford on Simmons that we saw during the regular season there and kind of roll the dice with that, but the the problem is the rest, stretching out the rest of the defense um, with the shooting lineups for the Sixers, that would be, you know, that's going to be a, a super tall task for the, for this team to deal with.
0: Just bigger picture here for a couple minutes. What have you learned about these Celts in this series? You know, we know they're relentless, but in terms of growth potential of individual guys like Jason, like Jalen, has your view of those guys and their value evolved at all amidst all of the, I'm not even going to say trade talks. It's more, you know, fun Twitter discussion that people have about Kawhi Leonard and and the future and all of that. And, and you know, people like me that make these grand proclamations that, you know, I wouldn't trade these guys and all you know, all that stuff that we tend to do on social media or on sports talk radio or podcasts or what have you. How have your opinions of these guys grown as as you've seen more of them here into the postseason and what they've done in heavy pressure situations?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no question that there, no matter what happens in Game 7, there's going to be some serious, you know, silver linings coming out of this season and this postseason. Since if you lose a series where, you know, Jalen Brown is your best player and um, you know, Jason Tatum shows up in a big way in multiple games and Rosier outplays Eric Bledsoe, you have to feel good about that from a from a just a team building perspective if you're Danny Ainge since, you know, these are the guys you're gonna have to rely I mean, Brown and Tim especially Rosier's situations, Mercury obviously with his contract coming up in one more year, but you know, all those guys are presumably going to be back next year and they're going to have life on them be a lot easier when you have a couple of all-stars back in the fold so the, the fact that they were you know handed this opportunity a bigger moment and ran off it is you have to love and then you had just it's just a matter of you know they have one more test now in game seven of okay you've taken over games here at times but can you do it now with everything on the line and slow down the best player in the you know not the NBA obviously but one of you know a top five MVP candidate I'd say for this past season it's if they can pull that off and clearly you know I'll play a Bucks team that should beat them based on talent then you have to feel good about this team long term
0: a couple things right there. First, Rosier, I'm of the mind that Marcus Smart's going to be re-signed, and that Terry Rosier is inevitably going to be traded. That doesn't mean this offseason could be midseason next year, could be before he's due for that new contract, as you said, is, is a year away, but in terms of one guy stays, one guy goes long-term, that's how I think it's going to play out. What do you think?
1: I think it's all going to depend on what Smart's price is. Sure. And if it's a It's you know, Danny Ange can be tempted here right now a little bit for next year in the sense that pretty much everyone is back outside of you know Smart and Baines, really, Monroe and then Smart obviously like but when you can roll back this roster as is with a healthy Hayward and Irving in the fold, that looks again, who knows what's gonna happen in the Eastern Conference in terms of free agents and LeBron. But that that's a lottery that,
0: picks, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> there's there's a lot of variables in play there, but you have to you know like you know while it is tempting to be like all right we're gonna have to we're not gonna be able to pay Rose here if and pay smart we gotta move on from one now you know if you can if you can keep them both in the fold with everything else in play here, that's a that's a rotation that goes you know nine ten deep that you know, you can put up against anyone in the league outside of, like, the Warriors. So that's, you know, it might be a situation where Ainge wants to be proactive, but if he wants to, you know, see what this group can do when it's healthy and just, you know, let the chips fall where they may after that, the fact that Rozier is going to be a restricted free agent gives them options there and makes the the need to trade him a lot less than it was for someone like, you know, Avery Bradley last year when there was a cap crunch, obviously, and then the fact that he was going to be able to get whatever – the market he wanted this summer when he eventually hit free agency.
0: So if we were to go back in time, not quite a year, but to the very first game of the regular season before all these injuries crept up, the starting lineup was Irving, Brown, Hayward, Tatum, even as a rookie, and uh, Horford, obviously. Now a lot of people thought that if, again, things played out healthily, the I don't even know if that's a word, that uh, Tatum, more often than not, was not going to start or play the kind of minutes that he has this year. And we know that all that has gone into that. The only reason he was out there in the first place that night in large part was because Marcus Morris was unavailable. He was hurt. Are we at a point where, if this is the group, again, starting next year, that that same starting five has to be the starting five? Like, you can't put Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on the bench as a sixth man when Hayward's back and start Morris at this stage, can you?
1: No. No, I don't think we're going to see – you know, assuming everyone's healthy, I don't think Morris is going to be starting on this team long-term. Just in the sense, I mean, it's, I it's kind of a talent situation where, who knows? You know, not that Morris is on the decline of his career right now, but if you had to pick one guy this year, Tatum or Morris, he would probably pick Tatum. Yeah. Just in terms of what his value on on both ends of the floor. I mean, Morris was a, you know, important part of the team. He got really hot in the second half of the year once he kind of figured out his injury situation, but you know, that's a piece, again, where he'll be valuable for depth and versatility, but he might be someone that, like Avery Bradley, he's got an expiring contract next year, too, so for the way the Suggs want to play, he's viable to, to keep. Such a
0: good contract.
1: In um, that contract is cheap, obviously, so that's appealing, too, but, you know, if they don't think they're going to keep him long-term, um, you know, they, they might, you know, they can kind of test the waters there as well, potentially, if they wanted to, but either way, you know, he's going to be but as we saw this past year, depth is crucial <laughs> when you know where you know, the injuries are coming. And so, again, if they really want to make a, a strong push next year to be a contender, I expect Morris to be on that team and just be an important bench piece.
0: All right, Brian Robb from the Boston Sports Journal. I hope, b Rob, we have the opportunity over the next couple weeks and beyond to talk more playoff basketball and, and less of the bigger picture stuff. So enjoy Game 7.
1: Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, thanks a lot to B Rob. Let's uh, roll right into your Twitter questions. Got a whole bunch. We'll take a few. This first one from Tracy: Should the Celtics start Marcus Smart? Well, I don't think so. Uh, just talked about that obviously with Brian, and you know he doesn't think Smart's ready. I don't think Smart's ready. I do. I am interested in the aspect of if you did that, it you know makes you a little bit stronger defensively in the starting unit, gives you a little bit more offense off the bench with Rozier. There, there are facets to that conversation that I I do think are worth entertaining if everybody's healthy and fully healthy and hasn't been dealing with any sort of rust aspect. But obviously, Smart is in that position where he has not played for more than six weeks prior to coming back for these last couple of games. Rozier is in a, a bit of a shooting funk, but I think for the most part, you know, you're going to continue to roll as is, and it's it's not just Smart. You're going to keep him on the bench, Rosier in the starting five, Shemi Ojole in the starting five. I'd be surprised if Brad Stevens tinkers with that starting unit. And plus, we've seen this a zillion times, not in this series, but in the Brad Stevens era, if a guy is not looking right four, five, six minutes in, yank him. It doesn't always matter so much who ends up starting. Smart's still going to play considerably, and he's probably going to play 30 or 35 minutes ...in Game 7, which is more than he's played in either of the first two games. Murph wants to notice Horford need the ball more. He only took eight shots last night. So obviously I brought that up to B-Rob before. And, you know, it's not that he needs the ball more. The offense runs through him for the most part, you know, oftentimes, and as it should. And Al Horford is very, very good at what he does. But he absolutely needs to take more shots has to take more shots, has to be more aggressive. We need to see, and I don't even just mean reflective in the numbers, uh, Numbers, I, I mean just in terms of the, the aggressive offensive mentality. We need to see more of Game 5 Horford than Game 6 Horford. Okay, and that doesn't mean 24-14 and 14 in Game 7. I'm not anticipating that. Uh, I'm not sure he'd ever done that in a Celtics uniform, period. What I do need, though, is for him to go out and take, I don't know, 13, 15 shots, like that's not too much to ask. It's really not, at least depending on how other guys are doing. If if he sort of takes a back seat because other guys are hot, fine. But if it's a lot like in this last game where so many guys were cold, step up, do a little bit more, take a little bit more in terms of trying to create for yourself. That's what I would like to see. And from uh, Eon, Ion, I, I apologize if I'm uh, not saying that correctly. I, about the only thing that I think I know is that it's not Ian. E-O-I-N. Anyway, is having our young guys playing in Game 7 actually more of a positive for their long-term development than had they won in Game 6? Um, I don't think so, because if you win in Game 6, you move on to the next round, and that's a high-pressure, high-stress situation anyway. I realize the... You know, closeout game, which six was, but it wasn't an elimination game, which this one is. You know, there's there's a certain pressure element that comes into play with a game seven that doesn't necessarily exist in a game six. Sure, that makes sense, and and playing in those games is valuable for your development, but I think if it's between winning game six and moving on and having at least four more games to play, and maybe there's a game seven against the Sixers, probably would be. I don't know, but, you know, deal with that down the road. Right now, you want to play... As long as you can play and play in the more important moments. And right now, game one through however many against the Sixers is in some ways more significant than game seven against the Bucks, given the stage, if you know what I'm saying. At least that's, that's my belief. Maybe you're listening and you disagree. With that, we're going to go. Again, I uh, keep this thing, I don't know, it's not so much short, but uh, relatively, because quite frankly, this particular show, I realize, is not going to have a whole hell of a lot of shelf life, which means maybe early next week we will do another one if the Celtics do win Game 7, and we can look ahead altogether to the Sixers series, which obviously would start right there at the uh, beginning of the week. But again, Episode 260, it's brought to you by Mac Weldon. Go to MackWeldon.com, use the promo code CELTICS for 20% off your first order. And continue to keep the questions coming, the conversation, the interaction, all of it on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us ratings. Leave us comments. Show us you're out there, as we know you are, but we always enjoy hearing from you anyway. It's great. Thanks to the Boston Sports Journal's Brian Robb. Thanks to Nick. Thanks to Larry. Thanks to Evan. Thanks to everybody at CLNS Media, who is a big part of putting this show together. Most of all, of course, thanks to you. Let's go Celtics in Game 7. Hopefully it's a good one. You want to really spark the crowd? You want to know what I want? I want Gordon Award and Kyrie Irving showing on that jumbotron right before the game. Seas will go out the win by 20. And by the end of the game, we'll see Gino up on the scoreboard. Speaking of, talk to you soon. I'm Adam.